0: Amen. We're turning together to Colossians and to the chapter 2. Paul's letter to the Colossians and to the chapter 2. We're thankful that we got the projector replaced up on the ceiling, and that takes matters out of my hand. Uh, but maybe a few teething problems uh, tonight where I've ended up singing the last verse by myself. But maybe that was intentional from the media team that they thought uh, I should sing a solo. But thank you for joining on the chorus. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to commence at the first verse of the chapter and just reading a short portion together. Colossians 2 and the verse 1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding To the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Amen. We land at the seventh verse, and may the Lord bless his word to our hearts this evening. As we come into the second chapter of Colossians, uh, from the opening verses of this chapter, I want us to think tonight about preparation, and it is preparation for the conflict. As the Apostle Paul was writing to the believers at Colossae, he himself was at Rome, but he has been visited by Epaphras who was the member and perhaps the pastor of the church at Colossae. And he has come to the apostle Paul at Rome to bring him that report of the church there. And so Paul has had that firsthand account given to him. And he has heard about the problems that the church was experiencing. He has heard there about the dangers and the threats To God's people at Colossae, all that was being faced by the church there. And he expresses a deep personal interest in their well being, the well being of God's people. And while he is not actually with them in body, he is with them in spirit. In fact, he says that in verse 5 of our reading. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And clearly the apostle here makes it known to the believers at Colossae that they're in his mind, they're in his thinking, they're in his heart, they're in his affections, and he's praying for them, and he's seeking here to support them and to give them that necessary guidance and counsel. And he rejoices. He rejoices as he hears about their witness and about their steadfastness of faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He rejoices to hear that there at Colossae, there's a band of God's people who are seeking to go on with the Lord. And that should encourage the hearts of all of God's people when we learn of those that are seeking to go on with the Lord in the midst of all of the difficulties. And so as we come in this little study from chapter 1 of Colossians and we move into chapter 2, we're thinking there about that preparation for the conflict. And just a few brief points that I want to leave before you tonight. Number 1, the adversity of God's people. The adversity that they were facing. Verse 1, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. And he speaks to them here about the conflict. There's going to be adversity. The Christian life, the apostle Paul is saying, is not easy. And Paul is warning the Colossians of the battle that lies before them. There's a conflict there, and he wants to tell them of the conflict. He wants to warn them about the conflict. There's a battle to face. The word conflict there, it's a very similar word uh, to the word that appears at the end of chapter 1, and the verse 29 there, the word striving. Whereunto I also labor, striving, according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. The word striving and the word conflict, they both come from the same original root word. They're very closely connected. And maybe those tonight with a good memory would remember that when I spoke about that word striving, in the original I said it was the word agonize. And the word that comes straight over into the English, and so we're very familiar with it, what it is to agonize. And at the end of chapter 1, we believe there the apostle was referring to prayer, and he was agonizing, and he was striving in prayer. And now that same word in chapter 2 and verse 1, that word conflict, we think again of him striving. And we think of the struggle and of the effort. And we mentioned last time that that was a word that was normally used of the athlete, the one who would be competing in the games and in those various competitions. And you would have maybe had the runner straining and stretching themselves and all of their effort. And then you would have maybe the wrestlers and their wrestling and struggling together together. That's the thought of the word conflict here. The Apostle Paul is speaking to God's people about those struggles, those trials and troubles that they will have to go through. And so there will be something that will cause that that agony and something they'll have to stretch uh, their effort and there's going to be that battle. And Paul says, I would that ye knew. He wants them to be in no doubt about it. There's going to be a, a battle and a conflict there. And notice he just doesn't call it a conflict. He says, it's a great conflict. And so it is no small matter here. It's something they're going to agonize with. It's not just for the Colossians. Do you see that from verse 1? He says, the great conflict I have for you. That was the believers at Colossae. And then he goes on to widen it out, and he says, for them at Laodicea. Laodicea was about 10 miles from Colossae. Laodicea is mentioned as one of the seven churches of Asia. And Paul says the conflict's not just for the Colossian believers. The conflict is for the believers that led to see as well. And then he widens it out even further at the end of verse 1. And he says, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. And so he's really broadening it out to take in all of God's people. Unless we would be in any doubt tonight, there will be battles for us to face in the Christian life. There will be adversity. It's impossible to get through life without that. And I'm sure tonight we could think, it wouldn't be too difficult to think about believers who would be suffering adversity. They're in the conflict. They're in the battle. Maybe physically tonight those who are not able to leave their own homes. There's an ongoing battle day by day, week after week. The things that we take for granted, the ordinary things of life that we we do without thinking, that's a struggle for them, that's a battle for them, and they're in the conflict, a physical battle every day. And for some it's a great conflict. Thank God there are those who are able to tune in tonight, and perhaps you can relate to what I'm saying. The conflict, the adversity. There's a physical battle. Might be a battle in the home. Might be a battle in the family. Might be a battle in the workplace. Might be a battle that you're going through in relation to the loss of a loved one, and what a battle that is. There are many battles for God's people physical, literal, but the spiritual battle. We all face the wails of the enemy. We all face the wails of the devil. And we're in a conflict every day against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And therefore, we must be prepared. And we must be ready for the conflict and ready for the battle as the Apostle would have said to the Ephesians, for we wrestle. We're like those in the games. We, we wrestle. But not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And therefore, there's the conflict, the adversity that the believer will face But I want you to see something tonight that in the midst of that battle, in the midst of that conflict, there is comfort. You look with me at verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted. And so whilst you're going to be in the conflict, thank God there is the comfort in the midst of that conflict And the word comfort there, whether you consider it in the English or in the original, it's really made up of two words. And the first three letters, C-O-M, that's the preposition with. That's what it means, with. And then you have the other four letters, F-O-R-T. And that's the word that means strength. And it's also, we get the words fortress. We get the word fortify. And so you have the idea there of, of support being given. And whenever you bring those two words together and you have comfort, it is that we of that support that is with us and that strength that is with us in order to, to fortify us. I'm sure, you felt it, brethren and sisters, in the heat of the battle. We need that strength. We're not sufficient of ourselves. But thank God we have the third person of the Trinity. And whenever the Lord was speaking in John and the chapter 14, and there in the verse 16, he gave, of course, that title of the Holy Spirit. He said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever, the blessed Comforter, the one who is with us to support us, the one who is with us to strengthen us in the midst of the adversity and the conflict. So, child of God, it's good to know that while we're in the battle, we're not in the battle alone because the Lord has promised to be with us. And the blessed comforter is the paraclete who who comes alongside with strength and with support for the child of God. And so Paul is coming here to speak to the Colossians by way of preparation for the conflict, and he refers to the adversity of God's people here. But I want you to see, secondly, He refers to the unity of God's people when you look on in verse 2 that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. They're beautiful words. Being knit together in love. And this expression really brings the thought of the oneness and the closeness of every believer in Christ. They're to be knit together. Maybe some of the ladies would know what it is to knit. And in the knitting, you're bringing all of those loose strands together. And, and you're knitting them together by way of a garment that they might become one. All of the strands becoming one. That's, that's the idea here. And you have all of God's people with all of their different personalities and characters and backgrounds. And they're all being knit together to become one. You look down chapter 2 to the verse 19. The word knit appears again. And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. And there the thought is of the head and the body, and the body by all of those joints being brought together. And you can think of the unity there of the body, and they're all coming under the head and all of the bodily joints and parts and members, they're knit together. And there's the, the unity of God's people. And then that little expression in verse 2 of our Bible reading, it says, Being knit together in love. Isn't that important? We'll not be knit together in any other way. We'll only be knit together in love. And it's a love primarily for the Lord who first loved us. And God's love is then shed abroad in our hearts, and we have that unity in our Lord and Savior, and the love of Christ through us to one another. It ought to be evident, and it ought to give to us that unity and that oneness in the Lord that we would be of one heart and one mind and one accord, that's a condition for blessing. When we come before the Lord in prayer and we're seeking God's face for his blessing, he's looking for unity. God's people being knit together in love. In a moment we'll see as verse 2 goes on that there's a reference there to understanding and to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. And so there's that understanding of the gospel or that revelation of the mystery, the truth of God, and that's by uh, way of how God's people are brought together. Yes, we're brought together in love, but we're brought together in truth. And we're knit together. Paul loved to speak about the togetherness. Of God's people and it's so important. In Ephesians, and we know that Ephesians and Colossians have many parallel passages, but in Ephesians chapter two, just to mark the word together, in Ephesians chapter two and the verse five, and Paul here speaks to the believers at Ephesus, and he said, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. And so, here in our salvation, with being united in the Lord Jesus Christ, the word quickened means made alive, and he has given to us that spiritual life, and we're quickened together. Together. And as you go on in Ephesians 2, the verse 6, And hath raised us up together, and has made us sit Together. In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Paul is emphasizing the togetherness. We've been quickened together. We've been raised up together. We're to sit together. And in Ephesians chapter 2, and you could go down to the verse 21, and it says, In whom all the building, here it's the idea of a building this time, but the building is fitly framed together. And God's people coming together as if we're making up that spiritual house, that building, and we're fitly framed together. And in the final verse of Ephesians 2, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And you could follow Paul's use of the word together. We're heirs together with Christ. And he told the Thessalonians will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The unity of God's people. Paul says that's an important preparation for the conflict. For entering into the battle, we need to enter into the battle united. And we need to go forward together and what a blessing that is to know the unity of God's people and when we have that unity we need to preserve that unity endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace something we should endeavor to do to preserve that unity that we have in Christ being knit together in love Then, thirdly this evening, the maturity of the believer. And you look again at verse 2 of our Bible reading, and it goes on to say, after we're being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. We have there the term full assurance full assurance of understanding, and we're drawing the thought there of that maturity in the Lord. There's a full assurance of understanding. When you glance back to chapter 1 and to the verse 9, you may recall that we drew attention there to that knowledge in verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and in all spiritual understanding. And that spiritual understanding is found in Christ, and we can come to the full assurance of understanding. That term, full assurance— it means a most certain confidence. May, that's the stage of maturity that we as believers want to come to. that we have that most certain confidence, with have a full assurance there, of the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and in all spiritual understanding, to the full assurance of understanding verse 3 of our Bible reading, it tells us there the key of where we get that. And it's speaking of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. What a wealth. What a wealth that we find in the Savior. All the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. And we can come to that study of the Savior and we can look at his attributes and his person and his perfections and the more that we look into the Lord Jesus Christ and the more that we have an understanding and the wisdom and the knowledge that comes may we're not to live as spiritual paupers we're not to be poor when it comes to our understanding and our wisdom and our knowledge because all fullness of that is found in Christ. You notice how verse 2 uses those words, all riches, all riches of the full assurance of understanding. There's riches here for the child of God. And when he comes to verse 3, he says, there are treasures here, all the treasures. And so we are to know all riches and all treasures in the Lord Jesus Christ by way of understanding and knowledge and wisdom. The Gnostic teaching, and that was the danger, that was the threat to the church at Colossae. You see, they would have spoke about knowledge and about wisdom, but that was only for the select few. And not everyone would come to such an elite knowledge. And that's the spirit of teaching that they tried to bring to the believers at Colossae, that it wasn't for every believer, it was only for some. And Paul comes to say, no. Paul's countering their arguments here. And he teaches that all riches and all treasures are open to all believers. And those treasures are found in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That understanding, you can come to the full assurance, to a most certain confidence of that. And the terms there, full assurance there, found also in Paul's letter to the Hebrews and in Hebrews chapter 10 and the verse 22, it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, a most certain confidence of our faith. Faith in what? What does Hebrews teach us about? It teaches us about The superiority and the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary, and that we find in him our all in all, similar to what Paul is teaching the Colossians, and therefore he's speaking again about this full assurance. In Hebrews chapter 6, you have the third use of that term, full assurance. In the verse 11 and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. And you can follow what seems to be the sequence there there's a full assurance of understanding and there's a full assurance of faith and there's a full assurance of hope. Hebrews 6 tells us that hope is an anchor for our souls, both sure and steadfast. Child of God, tonight in the face of the conflict, we can have confidence in these things. We can have full assurance in these things. We can have that hope right on to the end. That's the spiritual maturity that the Apostle Paul is referring to. And that's the preparation for the battle. And God willing, next Tuesday night, we'll return to Colossians chapter 2. But may the Lord bless these thoughts to each of our hearts this evening. We're going to turn to a couple of verses of the hymn uh, just to change our